a slight correction that the event tonight is at 4 and not 3 p.m. Uh, and but maybe 3 p.m. for the Africans, but 4 p.m. for everyone else. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We pray and we ask that you would do another thing for us today, that you would bless us in the hearing of your truth. We pray that you would speak through me, open up our hearts to, to listen to what you have to say, and let it dwell richly in our hearts after we've heard it. Strengthen me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys know that as, as we live our lives day to day, there are certain expectations that we have. Um, oftentimes those expectations are good. For example, you expect the president either of a country or of an organization to act in a presidential manner. You expect a father, if you're a father, you expect that to act fatherly. Uh, whatever organization you belong to or whatever role you have or your job, there's an expectation of how you ought to conduct yourself. And oftentimes, when we don't do that, when we don't live up to those expectations, we receive criticism. You know, when it comes to the Christian life, it is just the same. There is an expectation for how we are to live our lives as Christians. And so this morning, that's what we will be looking at. We will look at what does it, what does it look like? How do we live our life as Christians amongst one another? Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can open it to that, Ephesians chapter 4. We will look at verse 17 through verse 32. The hope for today, the, the point, the desire that I would like to get across to you today is that we would be intentional to pursue healthy relationships with one another with the eagerness of maintaining the unity. The title of this sermon is Maintaining Healthy and Godly Relationships. Uh, healthy relationships are godly relationships. Uh, they are godly relationships because at the core of a healthy relationship, at the foundation of it is Christ. At the foundation of, of having a healthy relationship is living in a manner that accords with with God. It is doing the things that God has instructed us to do. There can't be an healthy relationship without a godly without a godliness. To be to pursue healthy relationship is to pursue righteousness. And so this morning, the hope is that we will intentional, intentionally as Christians pursue healthy relationships within one another 
with the eagerness of maintaining our unity. When we come to chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul begins to talk about what we are to do. From, chapter, from verse 17 up until verse 21 of chapter 5, Paul gave instructions regarding how we are to relate to each other in the church. And from verse 22 of chapter 5 all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, it dealt with our relationship in the home. So in, for a summary, you can look at it as Paul giving instructions of how to conduct ourselves in the household of God and how to conduct ourselves in our own personal household. After all, they're both connected. Your behavior in one will show in the other. And, and why, why is this about maintaining healthy and godly relationship? Is it just, what is the point? What is the purpose of it? We see that in verse 1 of chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 3, when Paul says that I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, heard you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he ends in verse 3 by saying, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. So essentially, everything that Paul says from verse 17 all the way to verse 9 of chapter 6, the goal is that we would maintain this unity in a bond of peace. The goal is that we would actually, we would live as Christians. We would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so this morning, we will look at the section that has to do with our relationship with one another in the church. How do we maintain a healthy relationship with one another as we worship together? We look at verse, start with verse 17 through verse 19. There are three observations that we would see throughout this section. The first is this in 17 through 19. How do we pursue other relationships? And do we maintain the unity in the bond of peace? Paul starts out in 17 through 19 by saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienate, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their ardentness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul started out by saying, uh, to pursue out the relationships with one another. First, you must not live as though you are not a Christian. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, Paul says. That sounds intuitive, doesn't it? If you want to uh, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, do not live your life as though you don't belong to that calling, as though you don't already have that calling. How do non-Christians live? Paul says, in the futility of their minds, in the emptiness of their mind, in the uselessness of their mind. A futile mind is a mind that lacks purpose, a mind that is darkened in their understanding. It is the thinking process of the mind. It is the ability, it is the, the way in which we think. It is, a, it is a mind that is 
absence of God. A futile mind does not have God as its center. At it, as, at its center. A futile mind doesn't see God as the arbiter of truth. Future man is also alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, having given themselves up to sensuality. When God is not at the center of the mind, we then become the harbinger of truth. If God is not at the center of your mind, if God does not drive your thinking, you decide what is right and what is wrong. Truth becomes relative. You become the God of your own life. And that is what happens with a futile mind. You become callous, meaning you've lost all sense of shame, all sense of morality. You give yourself up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Or another way to put that is, is pursuing every kind of impurity with greediness. There is an unrestrained in immoral, and an un, we are they are unrestrained in moral in immoral behavior. And this makes sense when you think about it. If God does not drive your thinking, if Christ is not at the center, at the core of how you go about your life. It is then logical that you, you would do whatever feels right to you, or you would do whatever you think is proper, or whatever others have said you ought to do. Paul is saying we can't live like that. We must not walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Paul isn't saying that unbelievers are, are unable to do noble activities, Paul isn't saying that unbelievers are as wicked as they can be, but what he's saying is that at the core, at the foundation of their, th of their thought process, at the core of their mind, there is a lack of reverence for God. God is absent, and because that is true, their behavior follows. God, is in a, God does not determine the standard by which they leave the standard of morality, they decide that. And Paul said that we cannot live that way. A theologian, Ernest Best, has this to say regarding this section. He said the peril facing Gentile believers is neither persecution brought on by their new attitude to paganism, nor the influence of heretical intellectual ideas but a relapse into their former pre-Christian ways, which are the ways of the culture around them. Essentially, as what he's saying, is that persecution and anti-Christian ideas are not the only threat to the Christian. A relapse into your former pre-Christian ways is also a threat. As much of a threat as persecution is, Relapsing into the way you were before Christ came is also a threat to your Christian faith. And if we were to maintain healthy relationships with one another, if we were to 
pursueth, we are to be eager to maintain the bond, the unity in the bond of peace, then we cannot live as though we are not Christians. And of course, we, we may say that, well, we don't do that all of the time, and that is fair because the, the way in which Paul describes this, the verbs that he uses are participle verbs, meaning generally this is an ongoing action, so it is their way of life for them. So while for us it may not be a way of life, how often do we relapse into acting as though we are not Christians? How often is our thinking process absent of Christ? Now, why shouldn't we do this? It's common. It's common sense. You're able to figure that out yourself, but Paul still tells us in 20 to 23, 24, Paul said that this, but that is not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put up your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and Holiness. Why should we not live as though we're not Christians? Well, it is because that is not what you learned when you become a Christian. Paul said, this is not the way you've learned Christ. That is a weird phrase, because you don't learn people. You learn about people. But Paul is using that as a shorthand about, for the message and the message of the cross, the message of Christ and, and the work of Christ. That is not the way we learned Christ. That is not the way we, what we learned about him. That is not what we were taught in him. We were, we were not taught to live as though we weren't Christians. When we became Christians at our conversion, the instructions was, as Paul said, to put up the old self and to put on the new self. Why? Because when you became converted, you became a new creation. The old self was set aside and the new self arrived. There can't be healthy relationships in the church if Christians fail to remember that they are no longer that that is not what took place when they became Christians. Notice Paul also said to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's not that you should do the renewal, that, that is also, uh, that verb is, uh, that verbal structure is passive, which means that the action has been done on the subject. Uh, we don't renew our own mind. The spirit renews our mind. Paul said the same thing in Romans 12. How does the spirit renew our mind? Well, it does that by us submitting ourselves to him, through scripture reading, through prayer, through fellowship with the saints, through the word, through the sacraments. Our mind gets renewed by submitting ourselves to the work of the Spirit and participating in the means of grace that God has given us. On this issue of the old self and the new self. 
Another theologian, Andrew Lincoln, has this to say. He said that this injunction to put up the old self and to put on the new self is not an exhortation to believers to repeat that event. That event being that when you became a Christian, your old self was set aside and your new self was on the sin. You were given a new, you, were, you became a new creature. Andrew Lincoln is saying that this exhortation is not an injunction, it's not an it's not an exhortation to do that again, but rather it is to continue to live out its significance by giving up on that old person that they no longer are. They are new people who must become in practice what God has already made them. And that involves the resolve to put up the old way of life as it attempts to impinge. You know, at times the Christian life can be like a glitch. You know, for those that are old enough to remember, you know, the TV screens that, you know, you, you turn to a channel and it begins to glitch and you have to smack it to get a clear screen. Sometimes a Christian life is like that and you got to smack other times maybe harder than, than, you know, than you would to, in order to get a clearer screen. And so the old way of life, you know, creeps in at times. And Paul is saying here that is, we must resolve not to live that way. Because that is not who we are. So then, if we want to maintain a healthy relationship in the church, and we want to maintain the unity that, that we have in a bond of peace, we know that we can't live as though we're not Christians. And we know we can't because that is not what we learned when we became Christians. So then, how do we do that? How do we maintain Unity in the bond of peace. How do we maintain healthy and godly relationships among one another? Well, the answer is simple. It is, it is, it is doing what Paul said in verse 1 of chapter 4. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It is us living as a Christian. If we are not to live as Christians, then we are to live as Christians. But particularly, what does that involve? We see that in 25 through 32. The first is this. Now, this, you know, this list is by no means exhaustive. Uh, Paul isn't intended to say this is all that it takes to maintain an healthy relationship. But that is what it gives us in this letter. The first is this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first is this, put away deceitfulness. Speak the truth to one another. This is challenging to do. Not just this, but the other ones that we will cover, they're all very challenging. Speaking the truth isn't easy. It requires wisdom. It requires grace and kindness. It requires courage. The, a, a well-known speaker and researcher, Brené Brown, she, she talked about how there is no courage without vulnerability. And so in essence, speaking the truth requires vulnerability. It requires you to be vulnerable. 
Speaking truth isn't merely propositional truth. It's not merely, merely facts, like here's the gospel. But speaking truth also, it involves emotional truth. How did your brother make you feel? Are, are, are we able to, to speak that truth to our fellow brothers and sisters on how their actions has hurt us in a way that is beginning to affect our relationship? Now, that is an area that I struggle with. But Paul says, in order to maintain a healthy relationship in the church, we must speak the truth to one another. Why? Because we are members of each other. Truth must be a common occurrence among us. No one likes being lied to. Not only are we to speak the truth, verse 26 and 27, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Another thing that we would do to pursue out the relationship is, is to not sin when we're angry. You see, when you read this, it comes across as Paul is giving us license to be angry. He's saying, do not be, you know, uh, in verse 20, it says, be angry and do not sin. So, okay, so it's okay, I can go on and be angry. Well, that's not quite true. You see, it's hard to get a proper translation of this Greek word because it's, it's, a, it's in a passive. So the action is being done on the subject. So in, if we're being very strict with the translation, Paul is saying that when anger is done on you, do not sin. So, when, so when, when you're provoked to be angry, when you're caused to be angry, do not sin. The focus is not on the anger. The focus is on not sinning. The focus is that we have to be careful not to sin when anger occurs. We see the same thing in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Paul also says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, common translation of this sentence is, you know, don't go, you know, for those that are married, you know, you've heard people say, you probably said it too, you know, don't go to bed angry. And this is usually the, you know, the proof text for that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, but I must confess, I've gone to bed angry at my wife a few times. You know, do I stay up and keep fighting or do I just go to bed, you know, wake up and, you know, forget why I was even upset to begin with? And at times when I wake up, you know, I get upset that I no longer remember why I was upset. <laughs> because I want to stay upset. It's a good advice, and it's one we should practice, not to go to bed angry, but Paul, Paul has a broader view than that. Paul is saying, let your anger be limited in time. You see, when the sun comes up, the sun goes down eventually. It does not stay up forever. So when you're angry... Let your anger be limited. Do not let your anger, do not prolong your anger because once you do, you give an opportunity to the devil. You allow Satan to creep in and use your anger against you. And that affects relationships when anger lingers. Verse 28. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that so amazing? You look at a thief and you tell him, don't steal. But it's not enough to tell him not to steal, but now he must do the complete opposite and actually give it away. Generosity is a mark of healthy relationships. You know, a sure way to ruin relationship is to steal people's stuff. But a sure way to strengthen relationship is to give your stuff to others. If we are to maintain an healthy relationship with one another, what is the level of our generosity to each other? How willing are we to give away that which we've labored for, that which we've worked for? Healthy relationships are impacted by the level of our generosity to one another. In verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It's common to look at that and to think, well, Paul is referring to cuss words. Um, don't cuss. That's the meaning of the text. Well, it's possible that, that Paul had that, def- that you know, definition in mind, but again, this is Paul has a broader meaning in mind. Uh, Paul is saying that let your words be that which build up. Uh, don't let any uh, words that are undignifying come out of your mouth, words that have no value to the relationship. Words that don't support, words that don't build up, words that only tear down. Let no corrupting words come out of your mouth, but but only that which is good for building up. Let your word be, be in a sense, perfect for the moment. If it's a moment of, of humor, let your words fit that occasion. If it's a moment of mourning, let your words fit that occasion. Our words matter, and we can hurt people with our words. You guys know the famous saying, you know, you can help me if I mess it up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but that's not true. Paul says our words can actually affect our relationships with one another. And we have to be careful in the way we speak to each other, having the goal of actually building up of supporting one another. And then he ends by saying that don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away all bitterness, all wrath. Put away all anger. Put away all clamor. Put away all slander. Put away all malice. Be kind to one another. Be gracious. Be compassionate. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone actually treated you like that? Wouldn't you appreciate it if 
someone spoke the truth to you in a way that was gracious, kind, that was wise, if someone's anger towards you does not affect your relationship with them, it's limited in time, they're very generous to you, their word to you seems to be perfect for the moment, quick to forgive you, compassionate to you, and kind to you. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be amazing if we treated one another like that? That is the recipe for healthy relationships. And you need the spirit of Christ. And that is why you can't have healthy relationships without godly relationships. Because this practice is what is that what it means to pursue godliness, to pursue righteousness. And of course, uh, being the sinners that we are, we are unable to do this. And so we need Christ. And so we need the reliance on the one who has actually displayed what it looks like to be in an healthy relationship. The relationship of Christ with us is the healthiest you can ever imagine. It speaks the truth to us in a way that is gracious and kind and wise. His anger toward us does not last forever. He's very generous to us. His words to us are always perfect for the moment. He's forgiven to us at all times, kind, compassionate, gracious. And so we look to him, not only as the example, but as the one who gives us the strength to actually do these things. Yes, we may be flawed and impacted by sin in ways that we don't even know, ways we can't even imagine. But because we belong to Christ, we know there is hope for us. And for those who don't belong to Christ, this is a call for you to embrace the one who can give you life. I failed to mention this earlier, but if you look at verse 17 through 19, when Paul described the non-Christians, it, it doesn't only talk about their mind. It talks about the whole of the person. It talked about the mind in 17. talked about the heart in 18. In, in 19, it talked about the senses and the desires. Uh, so Paul is saying that the whole of the person is affected by sin, actually. The whole of the person is affected by being alienated from God. And so if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, or you don't know Jesus, it is not wise to continue living like that. Christ is calling, and he wants you. You get a chance to experience the perfect and most healthy relationship that you can imagine and that you can experience.
And for the rest of us that are Christians, which of these practices in 25 through 32 will you seek to implement? Which one would you say I resolve for the remainder of this year to, to work on that? As challenging as it is, I will commit to speaking the truth in love, with grace, with wisdom. As challenging as it is, I will ensure that my anger is limited in time. As challenging as it is, I will work on being generous to my brothers and sisters. Just pick one and say, for the rest of this year, that, that, that is what I want to focus on, Lord. Help me. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for, for your kindness to us. We thank you that we have an example of what an healthy relationship looks like. Some of us don't have healthy relationships with our parents, with our spouses, with our children, with our coworkers, with our friends. But we are thankful that we can look to Christ and see what it looks like to be in an healthy relationship. And we can look to Christ and ask for the strength to pursue an healthy relationship with those whom we fellowship with. Give us strength to do this consistently, Lord. And even when we, when we fail, we pray that we would know that there is forgiveness in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.